welcome to By the Fire podcast, where I, Ken, your host, take you through mythical tales and creatures from across the Black Diaspora. Welcome back to this episode, and welcome back to my first guest episode of 2021, where I have the honour of interviewing Sanamara, the author of Devils of Sarah Laiwa. In this collection of short stories and poetry, Sana is able to illustrate the mythology from Sierra Leone, a country in West Africa. I had a great time reading it, so I thought, what would be the best way to learn more about the book than interviewing the author? So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hello, Sana. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, I mentioned to you before that I came across your book on Twitter and I just thought, okay, I don't have enough. I don't have enough um, folklore from Sierra Leone. So I thought, let me check out your book. And it was a great read. So I feel really honored to be able to speak to you today. So welcome. Um, Thank you very much. The honor is all mine. That's great. I have a bunch of questions. I really hope the audience are able to hear from the author himself. So like the first thing I want to ask you is how did you get into writing? Actually, because at a really, really young age, say when I was around five or four years, uh, we had these barrels at the old house where we used to live. And by barrels, I mean like the barrels you put on a shipment to ship. So they were filled with books, but not just any kind of books. I'm talking philosophical books. I'm talking Friedrich Nietzsche. I'm talking scripts from Plato. I'm talking Homer's Homer's Odyssey. Odyssey, yeah. So um, yeah, so I really, and then oh, the full the full collection of Enid Blyton, all the fairy tales, um, collection about pixies and fairies. So at a very young age, rather than going outside and playing with kids, or rather than even playing video games, I embraced reading. So since I was really tiny, what I'll do is I'll empty the the shipment container halfway. Like yeah. it was like a round cast or something. I'll I'll like empty halfway. I'll get inside. I'll sit on a pile of books. I'll just take one and read, take one and read. No one will see me. No one will disturb me. And by the time it's nighttime, <laughs> I'll probably come through a lot of books. Yeah. So that was how I got into the love for reading and the love for writing. Now that I is that's up. so sick. That is really that's a really interesting story. And um, would you say so? That, that was how you got into it. So how did yeah. you then branch off into like fantasy? Because those books that you mentioned, it has for me has more of a philosophical background. So how did yeah. you then go into like you know fantasy, particularly from Sierra Leone? Particularly from Sierra Leone, how I got into fantasy was. Um, I noticed Enid Blyton had a collection of books called The Famous Five. Mm. And then also there were these, there were these The Secret Adventures of the Seven, The Secret Seven. And then also there was Harry Potter. I yeah. think that's where every that's where every kid starts off with fantasy. But I also had a love for Greek mythology from a really early age. Like mm. I mentioned Homer's Odyssey. Yeah. So I was I was thinking to myself, I'm like, while in school, I'm thinking every book we're reading. It's probably Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. It's probably Six One Act Plays by Shakespeare. Mm. It's probably um, The Drummer Boy. So in Sierra Leone, every book we read in school, primary school, secondary school, anything that has to do with literature, is all Nigerian. It's never from our local authors. Yeah. But then I also notice, hey, if I'm on the TV, I'm seeing Harry Potter waving a wand, fighting on Voldemort, 
if I'm seeing vampires moving at super speed, I'm seeing Dracula being made the figurehead of Transylvania, Romania, I'm thinking to myself, but I'm kind of hearing a lot of scary stories in Sierra Leone too. Yeah. I'm hearing about witches, I'm hearing about wizards, I'm hearing about Wuncho, which is our version of a wind devil or a leprechaun. So then I'm also thinking, hmm, why is it that the European um, mythology, like you see movies of Zeus all the time, I'm yep. pretty sure. Yep. There were, there were also movies, you see Hercules, you see the movies about Hercules, you even see the Prince of Egypt, so just, you see those movies. Yes. So I'm thinking to myself, but wait, all this European mythology going on, all these vampires being portrayed as dreamy and, and super and interactive, but when I watch a Nigerian movie or a Ghanaian movie, their own mythology is some low-budget screenplay where, where you can tell that they pasted the character, yeah. a snake on the screen. So to myself, I was like, uh, there has to be more to that. Like our mythology, African mythology, not just Sierra Leonean mythology in a whole, deserves um, a facelift. Yeah. Deserves, deserves a golden glow, deserves to be on par with what we see the Europeans doing. Yeah, and it sure. could be done. Yeah, so that, that's one of the things that got me into fantasy. I'm like, I had to tell Sherlock stories the Sherlock way, but with a modern with a modern twist. So people get to see they're not just pagan or devil worship. There's a no. whole lot more. There's a whole lot more to it. Like, for example, um, in Sierra Leone, there's a there's a local devil called the the uh, Matoma. So when the when the Europeans came, when the missionaries came, you know how they did? Mm. Gave us the Bible, kept us in school. Meanwhile, they were making off with the with our jewelry, with our gold, with our minerals and stuff. So they would tell us that devils like the Matoma were ritualistic, were scary, were dirty, were pagan. Mm. Or, if you do further research, you find out that the Matsoma actually plays a big role in society. It protects the farm from witches, protects the farm from rodents, gophers. It keeps the people in harmony, keeps the people in harmony. So, yeah. so situations like that, you question things. You're like, the entire narrative has to be changed, you know? No, exactly. No, I love that. And that's the reason why I started my podcast as well, because, you know, I noticed a lot of mythology from other regions including Asian regions were being broadcasted but Africa as well as the Caribbean and African Americans they have their own culture separate but still under the umbrella of black blackness um that I wanted to talk about on this podcast so it's really great that you were even specific with Sierra Leone because even in my research I wasn't seeing enough or any um any details about Sierra Leone mythology. So it was so great that I was able to see in your book. So I guess a question that I have now is um, with this book, because you said this book was based on like stories. So what was your writing process? Was it based on stories that you already knew or did you have to research based on people you knew? Did you have to ask them recently? Okay, so so my entire process with writing this book was, I have, I have what I think, I don't want to say, there's something every natural writer has that makes you know you're a writer, that, that puts you apart from someone who goes to, say, Oxford, takes a writing class and probably has a PhD in all types of literature and English. Mm. Fine, that person knows English. But then there's also pure writers. 
The English might not be good, but the storytelling is there. So as a storyteller, as a writer, there is this thing at the back of your head that I like to call a hyperactive imagination. So the process for writing this book was just one day, like I told you, I was fed up. And then I'm thinking back on old stories I used to hear, like the one show. And then I think I was watching this scary movie about the leprechaun or something. Then I love cartoons. So in one of the cartoons I'm watching, I think American Gagarin had an issue with some leprechauns. Yeah. I'm thinking this is just like a one show. So then I do some further research. Um, I asked my dad what he knows about the one show because he's a co-uncle. We're co-uncles from the Northern province. So then I call up a few uncles. I tell them, describe to me a one show. So they describe it to me. You know, it's short, pointed ears. The foot doesn't go forward. The foot is turned backwards. Backwards, yep. Yeah. And I've heard that a few times in other mythology as well across mythology. So they also, I found out that these same creatures we were describing, they have a name in Brazil, in South America. Mm. I think you know, the forest or something, but there's a name for them with the feet turned backward and the ears. So I Googled it and it looked exactly how my uncle described it. So I'm telling myself now, I bet you these Brazilians here that had this mythology way back, they probably went in Sierra Leone. And then Sierra Leone has the same, same thing way mm-hmm. back. And back then there were no smartphones or telephones. No. So that probably has to be an element of truth to it because mm-hmm. if the Irish are talking about the leprechaun and then the Brazilians are talking about their own version of the leprechaun yeah. and the Caribbeans have the same thing and then Sierra Leone has the same thing, I'm like, I had to write this in okay. my own way. Mm-hmm. So, so through the writing process, when I write, I have, I have what I call like a pyramid, like an upside down pyramid um, style. What I'll do is I'll open my notebook because usually, even though I'm a writer, I don't like using a pen and paper. I like everything on my MacBook. Mm. Like I live on my MacBook. And I'm, also, I'm also terrible at taking notes because I'm off a visual learner. So my writing process, the upside down pyramid is I open a notebook and I write out a plot. I think out the plots. I write it step by step meticulously. And then in each step and each scene, I document it. So I already know how my story is going to start. I know how it's going to end. So this is where it comes in something that I say separates a, a true writer, a good writer from, from another writer. Yeah. Now, along the line, no matter I tell you, no matter how much I've planned the story, along the line that I'm writing it, how I know it's going to be a good story or not, first off, if it's going to be a bad story, I follow exactly the plots I've set. Mm. If my story goes from point A to Z, step-by-step, step, meticulously, it will be good, but then I tell myself at the back of my mind, it's not as good as I want it to be. Yeah. Now, if I'm writing the story, upside down pyramid form, if I've, if I've written it from step A to Z, and then one of the characters I'm writing about uh, kind of says, no, Sana, this isn't what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And then the story takes a twist on its own. Mm. It's no longer me writing. It's the characters driving themselves and even surprising me. So I end up not following my A to Z plot. Yeah. The pyramid goes upside down. Then I know, whoa, I have a good one here. So basically, that's my process. Gosh, that is, that's so interesting. I've never heard that before. And I'm glad that yeah. works for you as well. So what's your favorite story in Devils of Sarah Lyra? So my favorite one was Tamba and the Vanishing Spirit, um, because I feel like there were so many different personalities from Tamba, from Peter, um, his grandfather, and 
I feel like the warning of is it the Kofo? The Kofo, yeah, the vanishing Kofo. spirit. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like that warning sort of happened because you know the Kofo warned and said, you know, don't use this power to gain wealth more than three times. And then in the end, because if you do that, then your wealth will be taken away. And in the end, Peter then betrayed him by taking away that wealth. So I just thought that was the first thing I was like, oh no, like I wish that didn't happen. And then obviously I won't say the end, the spoiler in case people want to read it, but I just, I love that story so much. I just loved, um, you know, his motive for being a thief was to get into college, which, you know, that's so different to how so people, you know. So it's sort of, it's sort of like the main protagonist is, you have to feel sorry for him, but at the same mm -hmm. time, he's also a bad person. But at the same time, he doesn't want to be a bad person. So it's, it's, it's a roller coaster, basically. Exactly. Like his motive is sort of for good. It's just the means. And there's of a bunch of life morals in it as well. I know, exactly. Exactly. So and I think it also talks about like, it discussed like a hierarchy, even in crime. So the whole idea in of, crime. you know, yeah. there was Donald and then Donald um, also gave a share to another boy because if it wasn't for this young boy, the job wouldn't be available. So there's so many people. It's a whole syndicate. And it's actually like that. I did I did some research. It's actually like that in the streets of Sierra Leone here. In every neighborhood in Sierra Leone, in the east, west, or the north, if you steal, I guarantee you there is a seven-day law. Police work hand in hand with the criminals out here. There is a seven-day law. If no one comes forward to claim that property, you can keep it. Wow. There is a seven-day law. And there yeah. is a head. Every thief that comes into your house, steals or steals on the streets, they have to go take it to their boss before they fence the items. No one just fences it for themselves. Mm. They yeah. have to take it to the boss and the boss has to approve of the fencing of the items. So. Gosh, I love that as well. I love the integration with life in Sierra Leone yeah. in your stories and you were able to do it really well and it was so seamless because I was able to read this and because I have a few relatives who are from there but I don't okay. know so much detail. So I was able to read this and just see, okay, so this is what things are like whilst incorporating the fantasy that you yeah. do. So you, you do that really it was, well. So. It was a modern twist. It's like, it's, like, it's like taking you back to, I'm not going to say things follow patterns. I'll say more like um, what Chimamanda does. Mm. That's why she's my favorite writer. Mm. I like how she puts in the modern, the modern twist, yeah. the old... Like you can get the things follow up about flavor, but at the same time, some American who's never read about African stuff mm. can still pick up the book and can still relate to it in a way. Exactly. Know. No, no, she's definitely great, no, for sure. And um, I feel like from my Nigerian point of view, um, something that I was familiar with was the Mamiwata story. So um, oh, the mermaid. That's actually my second favorite story because it talks. It's socio-political. Like, yep. It shows you how the bad guys always win in politics. Politics. And then it's also showing you trying to cheat to beat the bad guys doesn't necessarily make you a good guy. No. At the end of the day, you're still the same and you're still going to lose out. No, exactly. So the bad guy is a better bad guy than you. So <laughs> he ends up winning. So no, exactly. That was, that was my second favorite story. Mahmoud and the Mami Wata. Yes. Yeah. No, I love how you'd, um, again, like, I think it was kind of a different my diff a different interpretation because the way I know Mami Wata was um, more like she's in the sea and you just happen to like 
see her. You don't know why you're there, but you're at the beach. But then yeah. the difference was here is that it was more like in a dream. It was more so, um, a dream than it was sort of like a near-death experience. So it was very, it was different to what I've heard about her. Which, so I really enjoyed. Because you have to keep in mind, it's it's a seaside community. Mm. So she gains her powers from water, from the sea. Yeah. So there is no there is no ceiling to what her, her powers can be. And fish are kind of telepathic. Yeah. In a way, they can communicate. They can, you know, understand each other with signals. So. She uses basically fish powers. She can enter your dreams, but she has to spot you first. Mm. And the mommy, what's her name that I call the mommy name that I call Cassila is actually a big, is actually a big myth over here. But like with the older generation, I don't think the younger generation will know about it. In a mm. place called in the South, they do talk about Cassila. They say once every Every year, the end of the year by Christmas or something, she appears, she sinks boats, people die. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, the Mami Wata story was your second favorite. What was your first favorite story that you um, My first favorite has to be The Albino Boy and the Tamil okay. Boy. Why is that? Because I just, I just like the idea that the outcast gets to shine. He gets to mm. find, he gets to relate to something or to someone who's more like him. Mm. And I'm someone that's always going to root for the underdogs. Mm. In every story I read, or even in general life, I treat underdogs a, a little bit more better. Mm. And I also try to relate to them. So I like the idea that he was being looked down on by his um, comrades. Yes, yeah. He was being, yeah, he was being kicked down by his peers. But then I also, I'm also someone who believes in don't judge a book by its cover because he goes into this compound where Tamba, he goes into this compound, not Tamba, sorry, I'm talking about the Albino boy. He goes into this compound where um, he meets someone who everyone has judged through a certain mm-hmm. lens. And that's, that's society. Society always, people always judge what or who they don't understand. Mm. They always try to fit you in their own box. They try to keep you within the lines of a painting that they've painted for you. They don't try to get to know you and not judge you. They don't see you through a clear lens. So he goes into this compound that is owned by this old man that everyone in the village is scared of. The mm. parents are saying he's bad. The kids are saying he's bad. What happens? He goes there, he's terrified, but then he finds he finds out that things aren't what they seem. This man is actually compassionate, is actually gentle, is actually warm, and he can relate to him. And you can tell in the little things, if you read the story and you pay attention to details, you can tell in the little things that the man do that he's a gen- that the man does that he's a gentleman. Because yeah. you see him, you see him helping him up from the floor, mm-hmm. you see him um on peeling his foods for him. Cutting the lemon. Yeah, exactly. Cutting the lemon. Like those little acts, like a rough diamond. And then while you're in the story, it's the story is outcast inside, outcast inside, outcast. Because the albino boy is the first outcast. And then the man is the second outcast. And then you delve into the story. It's a, it's a female warrior. She's mm. the third outcast. It's outcast in outcast in outcast. The female warrior wins. She comes out on top you will expect that the man was going to win. Exactly. So it's also, it also saying, oh, women, you know, women are top-notch too. Mm. So the, the female wins, and they find out she was an outcast too. She was an albino too. Yeah. So it's, 
So like I say, that's like my favorite story because there's just little details in it that I'm pretty sure people will miss. And the last detail that I kept to the very end is you find out that um, the man, the old man telling the story about the Tamabo, which by the way, were local warriors. I, I'm sure I explained it in the book. Mm-hmm. On the notes. You find out that in the end, when the albino boy is gone, um, the old man walks past a tunic hanging on his wall. That is the same tunic that the Tamabo was used. So you find yes. out that, oh, the old man was a Tamabo too. You know, speaking of the like the stories and the and the creatures that you talked about, do you have like yeah. a particularly favorite creature in the book? I actually had to note down the names. Um, oh, the names of the creatures that you mentioned that you mentioned: the Wonsho, Roko, Sebe, Mansu, Matoma, the Jege, Kofo, Kasila, as well. Because I didn't I didn't recognize any of them. So I'll um, just, any... just a clarification, the one shows a creature, the gofos are spirits, um, castle is a creature spirit. Um, but JG Sebe, they're actually protection amulets. Okay. They're like this, yeah. JG is like this tiny cowies that you always see in the Nigerian movies and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Sebe, Sebe is like this squire amulet for protection. Oh no, interesting. So, my favorite creature or spirit or whatever has to be the roadshow. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, because the roadshow presents to you this idea of wealth. It shows you how how humans are blinded by wealth and how they're mm. blinded by wealth. But the roadshow also presents balance, albeit a catastrophic or natural balance in that for every give he's giving, he's taking. Yeah, he's burning down your house. He's taking. He's giving you. He's taking. So he's he's a complex creature. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's so common in all these. You know, selling your soul for something. Exactly. It's always like a twist. It's so, always a it begs, so it begs the question: Is it is it the demon who's really bad, mm. or is it you that can't control yourself and give in to something unnatural? So. That's what I'm saying. You have to look at it this way, you know. That's a good point. I think you've actually you talked about that in the book. I'm scrolling through it real quickly. Um, in Tamba and the Vanishing Spirit, um, yeah. the spirit says, you know, I had this power for your grandpa, but he didn't use it because he was an honorable man. So I feel like you just answered your question. Exactly. Grandpa lived a full life, yeah. and not once did he bump into any troubles because. I always feel like the world isn't a complex place. I feel mm. like life itself isn't complex. I feel like at its innermost, innermost quality, life itself is simple. The world is simple. Yep. What complicates things or who complicates things? It's humans. We have all these emotions in us. We have, we have all these thoughts, all these aspirations, all these ambitions. We are the ones that make things more difficult for ourselves. Cavemen back in the day lived a very simple life. Mm. Head out, some meat, sleep. They didn't have to worry. But then they complicated life. They started wars, trying to conquer land. So we find problems for ourselves. Grandpa in that book represents simplicity. Mm. Simple man, vulnerable man, had his devil. The devil had him. They, they didn't get up too much. And that was it. But then you see the young man comes in. He's trying to get the fast money. Exactly. 
And then he gets into trouble. Like some 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 mode of thinking wants to say the devil's to blame, the devil's to blame. But uh, check yourself. You you body on yourself. So yeah. Word word. No, I love that. And I think um something else that I loved about the book was how everything kind of connected. So an example was the witch hunter poem, which was talking about you know um this witch hunter and his plights to try and kill a gathering like rich riches and I think that was one point of view from him but then later on there was the story in the cotton tree that sheds tears of blood and and yeah. there was a the point of view of the witch he was talking about how oh he was lucky that he evaded the witch exactly yeah. and I thought okay so it seems like this is a cycle of where you want to support the witch because you know he's powering his home for that year. Oh, in his home, exactly. Via totally, the blood. He's doing, what, he's doing what he knows can can keep his own community going. Safe, yep. Yes. And viable. And, and, and the witch hunter is doing what he thinks is right for him to keep his own community safe. But then it could be argued that um, the cousins is the witch's space. That's their home. And then the witch hunter has his home. So hmm. who's really bothering who, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, a- yeah, no, that, that's, that's true. I think, I guess when the witches have to then go out and seek children, that's when- That's where, that's where the line is lines crossed. crossed. Exactly. Yeah. I think when line isn't crossed, when lines aren't crossed, then things can work in synergy. But the issue is that's not and how it works. Then again, picture it this way. If the villagers wanted food, they'll have to go kill a deer and when he's habitat or it's habitat the witch's own food happens to be kids so yes. so what was your favorite point in the, in the book it was the let's see chapter 12 the the bewitched gun i got oh. i love that one that one made me laugh that one made me laugh yeah. because um first of all again your use of the mummy water but the scales so i had never known of using body parts of a creature for like another purpose so this um Juju man was making a concoction for a witch a bewitched gun and um that required so many things including the scales from a mermaid and yeah I just I really liked that one I think the end it sort of became like funny I don't know if I'm just crazy but the whole idea that you fear for the victim who will be um taking those bullets because there's going to be pain and torture. So it was as though, you know, this is just a job to him. Like, as long as he gets what it's he a, needs. So he's a gunsmith. What's the difference between him and Samuel Colts? Samuel Colts made, made guns and then look the how guns have been doing. Um, there's Kalashnikov that made the Kalashnikov, the AK-47. Mm-hmm. Look at the havoc. Every terrorist uses it to blow up and kill people. So if the, if the mystical witch gun manufacturer is doing his yeah. on people what's the difference between him and the guys who made the Higoshima or the exactly. Nagasaki I think yeah. it, just, it made me just like like chuckle like bemused like it's a bemused feeling because I was I was like oh yeah how is this guy doing this but he still kind of has like um a moral code for those who are going to be the victims I just thought oh really why don't you just stop yeah. <laughs> I did want to ask um why did you include poetry in this because um see i might call i might call i am a poet like mm-hmm. my favorite piece of writing is poetry and 
my first book I ever published was called Thoughts from the Other Side. It's a book of philosophical poems mm. that it has to take you, it's a little number of poems, but it has to take you time to really digest the message in the book because I just love poetry. It's complex. It can be simple. It conveys emotions and lessons in it hides them. It's art. It's readable, flowing, liquid art. Yeah. So, so when I was writing this book, I felt like I had to include poems because, like I said, I'm writing this book not just for people to read casually. Mm. I'm writing it for people from all points of life or spheres of life to read. So I'm thinking if kids in secondary school or primary school need to be taught literature, they can read poetry in my book. So that's why the style of writing I use for the poetry in my book is a little bit more simple mm -hmm. than the style of writing I use in the first book. So yeah, that's, that's literally why I included the poems because I can't write a book and not put in my favorite piece of writing. That's really, it's really interesting. And it worked effectively to tell a story in a shortened way, like, in comparison to the actual books as well, I was still able to get context, culture within those poems. So you did a really good job. I really did enjoy them as well. So I guess one more question about the book um, or one statement. Is there a fact or fun fact about the book in terms of either your process or just the book itself? Is there a fact that you'd like us to know? Um, the facts are like, are like people to know is, the Devils of Seralaiwa, it's actually going to be part of a trilogy called the Seralaiwa um, series. So wow. after Devils of Seralaiwa, I'm already working on my next book, which is not going to have poems in it, by the way. It's going to be short stories, but a little bit longer than this ones. So that one is going to be called Warriors of Seralaiwa. Okay. And then after that, I'm working on a debut novel like from a single person point of view, which is going to be called the damsel or the lady of Sarah Laiwa. So oh my goodness, that, that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Really so the, the other interesting thing was, there was a Sarah Laiwa wasn't the first I was writing in the Sarah Laiwa series. The first I was actually writing, and I'm still in the middle of writing, was the Warriors of Sarah Laiwa. But I'm in the middle of writing Warriors of Sarah Laiwa, and I'm like, I'm using all these words to show and all these, you know, spirits and yeah. and stuff. I'm like, well, I have to make people know and understand this book more. So mm -hmm. let me go do a quick prequel and then get back to this one. So I stopped Warriors of Several Hour halfway through it. And then I went back, I wrote a whole new book a prequel, that's why it's that small and yeah. very simple for people to understand. So like a formal foundation for when I do get to release Warriors of Sarah Laira and then subsequently um, the damsel or the lady of Sarah Laira. Exactly. And I think it's really cool that even in the prequel as well, you included footnotes. So which talked about, um, you know, just little explanations of some of the terms you mentioned, which were in italics. And I love that you had um, a footnote for Okada because I knew what that was. I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's a motorcycle taxi. So, but of course there's going to be so many people because we have that in Nigeria. There's going to be so many- I like footnotes. Yeah, I think it's-, it's yeah, I, don't, because I, ever, I feel like- Yeah. Because I feel like when I'm reading at times, I like understanding everything I read, but I find myself having to go on Google to cross-check certain things, certain terms. So I'm like, 
every time I'm going to rise, I want all the information there for people. I, you know, I want, I, want, I want my readers to know, oh, that's his style. He really cares about us. And he's not just writing, he's taking care of us and informing us and teaching us at the same time. No, that's a really great. I've had another author who I interviewed um, who had like an index page of all the terms at the back. So it's quite interesting to see how you do it. A similar um, thing, but in different ways. So with the footnotes versus the index. So that was I really- I don't want you, I don't want you to wait till you get to the end of and- the book and then flip back. I want to make it easy. I want the moment you see the word, you go down the page, the explanation is there. Exactly, exactly that. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm a lazy person, so I would rather prefer that than <laughs> than having to flip all those pages. I probably would have forgotten the words I wanted to know by the time I got to the last page. Yeah. Exactly. No, it was really useful when I was reading, and then you just see, okay, Asterix. Okay, okay, okay. I know what this is. Thank you. So something I'd like to ask you is, what is your favorite book at the moment? Is there anything you're reading? Oh, my favorite book on at the moment is um. The thing around your neck by Chimamanda Ngozi, but then again, I also like the Gilded Ones by Namina Fauna. Another question I'd like to ask is, for any of your books that are currently um, published or soon to be, which one would you like to be made into a TV adaptation? So movie, film, series. I'm going to like. I'm. I would like if this um, Sarah Lyle trilogy that I'm working on gets yeah. made gets made into a movie or a series. I can totally see I can totally see Tamba and the Kofo mm. or the Mami Water being a nice short flick that yeah. you could enjoy the plot twists and stuff. So I'm looking forward to Warriors of Serial like I'm literally itching just to write it. Okay. So just like finally then, where can people find you and your work? So social media um social media they can find me on instagram at the lot of squibble and um twitter it's the dark author okay and any of those that you go on you can find my website or my medium my medium is cinema and on my medium you can find my writings like i don't just write books in the in in between while i'm like on this hiatus before the next book being released. I'm also writing poems. I'm, I'm writing philosophical lines. I'm writing really short stories, you know. I'm also entering writing competitions, by the way. Wow. Like I entered into the BBC Commonwealth short story, you know, the Afritondo. I'm, I'm always trying out competitions. Like yeah. I've been doing this mini, these mini workouts to like get myself prepped before oh, for yeah. the next week. That's really great to hear. I wish you the best of luck with that as well. Um, yeah, Santa Mara, everyone. I can't wait to get the next get ne- next few stories in your trilogy. And I really hope everyone checks out Devils of Sarah Leo. Is it Sarah Laiwa? How do you say it? Sarah Laiwa. It's the Portuguese word for Sarah Leo because I was trying to show that we don't even own our name. It was given to us mm. by some Portuguese explorers. That I didn't even know either. So everyone check out Devils of Sarah Laiwa. It was a great book. And it's just a prequel, so get ready for the next few books in the trilogy. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And you know what? Here's to more um, guest episodes with authors because it's really great 
and insightful for me as well to hear from them as well as you the listeners so i really hope this was a great experience for you just as it was for me if you enjoyed this episode be sure to rate and comment on apple Podcasts and follow on spotify and you can also listen on soundcloud use the hashtag btf pod so we can continue the conversation online and i look forward to you joining me for the next episode be sure to follow on by the fire underscore pod on instagram twitter and tiktok as well as by the fire podcast on facebook where I regularly upload proverbs from African Caribbean countries and from countries in the Americas. I also upload superstitions and folklore, so it will be really great for you to follow me there as well. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, I do have a Kofi, an online tipping service, if you just type in By The Fire Podcast on ko slash fi, where I accept tips. So if you enjoy this episode and would like to tip me, I'd really appreciate it. You can do it through there. If you have a creature or folklore you'd like to hear or would like to be a guest on the show, feel free to email me at bythefire.mail at gmail.com. I definitely want more guests. I definitely would like more ideas for the podcast. And yeah, you can do it through that way. I can't wait for you to join me next time by the fire. Bye.